Today on the show, I'm going there. We're talking all about sex and marriage and singleness and dating and divorce. So yeah, this isn't an episode for little ears. But what makes this episode so unique is I'm going to be asking the questions that you would be way too embarrassed to ask a pastor, specifically a pastor you probably know because he used to be the leader of The Porch in Dallas, Texas, which actually became the largest weekly gathering of its type in the U.S., specifically for Christians in their 20s. He's also a millennial who, before becoming a Christian, lived a very worldly life when it came to dating, which I'm going to let him tell you about. This isn't a pastor who remained a perfect virgin before marriage and was always out for Christ. No, this is someone who knows how guys think and why. Since giving his life to Jesus, he's gained a totally unique perspective on dating, sex, and relationships. He's now the lead pastor of Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, and just wrote a book last March called Outdated, Find Love That Lasts When Dating Has Changed. In it, he, quote, dispels the myths, misconceptions, and fairy tales that you've believed about dating and replaces them with the truth from the one who invented marriage. Outdated tackles, quote, God's purposes for singleness, dating, and marriage, and covers why you should date, who you should date, and how you should date. Get ready for Pastor Jonathan J.P. Pakluda on The Spillover. Pastor J.P., could you share your testimony when it comes to dating and marriage for those listening who are like, okay, well, what does this perfect Jesus guy know about sex and dating in today's world? Yeah, absolutely. So was raised in a small town and raised in the church and uh, really just kind of identity crisis in college. I mean, in high school, which a lot of people are like, that's every person in high school. But that's where the story starts, because I've always found identity in being in a relationship. I mean, I had I truly was never not in a relationship since the fifth grade. And most of those were overlapping. And so I'm learning all of these terrible habits while being in the church. But then when I went to college, you know, I just didn't want anything to do with God or with faith. And so I kind of went all in with the world. I, I kind of thought of God as like the sheriff in the sky that just wanted to get me if I was doing something bad. And so they say drug, sex, and rock and roll. In my case, it was drug, sex, and hip hop. And uh, and so what that looked like was, you know, I just remember I had been there for several weeks. I had slept with several girls and I was saying my prayers at night like I always did. And I just started weeping in my twin size apartment on campus, uh, twin size bed on in my on campus apartment and just started weeping because I felt like, man, my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling like God doesn't hear me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. And I think that shame just caused me to go deeper. And so that looked like a, a just feeding an addiction to pornography. Like it wasn't even anything that I even knew to hide. I mean, going to strip clubs and always having a girlfriend and never being faithful and just really all of these things that, that, you know, your listeners are going to hear like, man, he's a real terrible person. And I was, you know, and, and so then after college moved to Dallas, kind of everything wrong with Dallas and a person. And I, I just continued the club life, the party life. And, uh, and then I was at a club 20 years ago and somebody invited me to church. At and the I sat club? The, yeah. I was How at the does club that work? Well, I was I was leaning up against the pool table, had a Miller light in my hand, and I saw this girl that I knew from college. And I said, "What are you doing this weekend?" 
And she said, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, we're going to go to church tomorrow. We're going to go check out a church. It's the first time to go. And I said, great, pick me up. My church sucks. That's what I said. And, um, and so she did. And, uh, the rest, I sat in the back row hungover. I smelled like smoke from the night before. And I ended up giving my life to Jesus. And one of the first things that really I was convicted of was, was like my view of dating and relationships. And, you know, I, I fast forward, I, I marry, I'm, I become a Christian. Like I kind of clean up, Jesus cleans up my act and, uh, and we get married. And I just remember thinking like in the foyer of the church, Alex, saying this prayer, like, God, thank you for allowing me to escape the consequences of my sins. But then two years into marriage, I just realized, like, I was thinking like STD, you know, uh, child out of wedlock or those, those kinds of consequences, psycho ex-girlfriend wanting to kill me. But now we're two years into marriage and I'm realized like, oh, I didn't escape the consequences of my sin. Like I've got scars. Like I have no idea how to be married. I have no idea how to do this, uh, how to be in a relationship with someone and stay there because the way that we date in the world trains us for divorce. It doesn't train us for marriage. We get in a relationship till we don't want to be in one and then we get out, you know? And so you had this total worldview change. Now you write a book. That guy that you just described has now written a book about having a healthy relationship, a godly relationship, how you should be dating with the intention to marry. And so kind of talk about when a man is dating intentionally versus what it looks like when a woman is dating intentionally, because you describe this in Outdated and I really like this. Yeah. And so I always like, ladies, you want to find a guy who's intentional. And what I mean by intentional is I know you wonder, like you wonder if he's going to call you back. You wonder what he meant by the text message. You wonder if there's going to be another date. You wonder where this is going. You wonder when he's going to propose. You wonder, wonder, wonder. And you really want to find a guy who removes that confusion. That's why we say leaders remove confusion. And so he's kind of anticipating the things that you're wondering and communicating clearly to you, hey, this is how I see this going. I had a really great time tonight. I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm going to ask you on another date. I would love to continue to do this. Hey, I want you to know I'm not wasting your time. Like I, I can see us really going somewhere. Here's kind of my timeline. He's not going to say all that on the on the first date, but as as your heart begins to wonder things, you're going to see that he's removing the mystery. But I say intentional, not intense, because I know there's some dudes out there that are like, okay, well, I'm going to pick you up at 755 and I'm going to walk to your car and I'm going to knock three times and I'm going to, then we're going to, I'm going to open the car door and then we're going to put you and then we're going to go here and it's going to take us 27 minutes to get there. <laughs> it's like, whoa, man, hit the pressure release valve, buddy. Like it's just a date or it's just coffee or it's just dinner, like slow down. And now, see, so, girls uh, on the other hand though, and I feel like I've done this before is on a first date be, saying the words, you know, I am dating with the intention to marry. What does your timeline look like? Is that also from a girl's end too much on a first date? I don't, I mean, it depends, right? It, it, I don't think so. I mean, I would just say like, it depends if you met on Tinder, right? And you're there on the first date and you're you're trying to really understand like where he's at, or if this is someone that you've known for some time and now you guys have just crossed that threshold. But I, I candidly, I think it's good to just define those terms and say, hey, I'm not, I don't, want to date for a long time. Like dating is not the goal. Like dating is the interview for the job and, and nobody wants to stay in the perpetual job interview, but that's what I see in the world more and more is we just get stuck in the interview process and, and, and no one really ever gets the job. And so we're getting married later. 
we're getting married less and marriages aren't lasting. And that's the big heart behind outdated. Like I, I want to see some of that course correct. What are the non-negotiables that God is wanting us to look for in a future spouse? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm, listen, I'm after you hear that story, understand I'm a pastor, I'm a simple guy. I believe that God has not left us here to flounder. He's given us instructions in, in a collection of 66 books we call the Bible. And so I, I have found that as I turn to that as my source of wisdom, that it guides me and directs me. So first and foremost, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So I want someone that, that we're not just going the same direction. We're going to be in the same place in eternity. And that's the most important thing about me. And so if that's the most important thing about me, it has to be the most important thing about them. And so you think about like the cross first and foremost, and then that little acronym has become this thing that, that I think is helpful to for ladies to hear and that's just that i want to make sure that he's controlled i want you to i have two daughters let me say that and so when they kind of venture into this territory of dating i want them to find a guy who is controlled like he's not given to anger or given to rage or or um you know controlled by some substance or whatever like he's he's also responsible like he has his feet underneath him he's going somewhere he has a, a desire for his life He's obedient. That is, he's under authority. He's submissive. Like he, he does what those over him say, says to do or say to do, and he's serving. And so someone who's um, committed to a church, serving the church, using the gifts that God has entrusted to them, and then that he's steady or steadfast um, is not just the highs and the lows, but there's just a steadiness to him that I know that uh, for my daughters, like he's going to be a protector, he's going to be a provider. And so as you think about controlled, responsible, obedient, serving, and steady, that, that acrostic spells the word cross. And so those are some things that I think about. I like that. That's really helpful. I will say this. When I was reading Outdated, one of the things that you said shook me, and that was you thought people put way too much weight in having similar interests or yeah. hobbies. Explain that. Yeah, so it, it's it's really fascinating, especially in the world of dating apps, personality tests, you know, online matchmakers, um, professional matchmakers, because I think everybody's trying to say, hey, we want to find somebody with chemistry, somebody with common interest. But God really made male and female to attract like opposites attract. So I'm six feet seven. Uh, my wife is five two. Oh, you know, I my love, gosh. Yeah. I love guns and motorcycles and the UFC and she loves puppy dogs and babies and right. We're just different. And, and that's really good because we're an amazing team. When, when I seek to serve her and to care for her and cherish her and, you know, we come together and we're just like this force to be reckoned with because we have complementary gifts that, but if I, if Monica and I, we both, let's just say we both loved rock climbing and we came together under this common bond of, uh, rock climbing. And we, we just, that, that was our whole relationship was built on that. And then one day we go rock climbing, like on the honeymoon and my grip slips and I fall and I'm, you know, I'm completely traumatized by the notion. I can't even drive by the rock climbing place. Like to think about it causes me trauma and I'm no longer interested in it. Well, now what do we have in common, you know, cause our whole relationship was built on this common interest that's yeah. no longer there. And that we've, I've experienced that in my own marriage. When we got married, man, we loved, I loved cruises. She loved cruises. I loved um, comedy clubs. She loved comedy clubs. 
you know, now, now we've been married 17 years. She doesn't want to be caught dead on a cruise ship. Uh, she has no interest in the comedy clubs. And so I, I'm still very much all about the cruise and the comedy clubs, but her interest changed. So thankful we have something greater to carry us forward. What are your thoughts on finding the one or your soulmate? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the one, you know, is out there with the unicorns and the tooth fairy and the Oompa Loompa. And um, it, it just, I just don't believe in one. And, and this should be a good thing for your listeners because it really hits the pressure release valve that you have to roam throughout the entire earth trying to find this needle in the haystack. One person, star-crossed lover who was created about the same time you were and you don't know where they're the reality is there's hundreds of thousands of guys that you could marry and be happy with. Wow. And that's sometimes that's just like, my that blown. is how like, I feel right now. Yeah. It, it, there's hundreds of thousands of guys you got to for the, like dating is a new idea. It's about 120 years old. Dating entered the English language as a euphemism for prostitution to go on a date meant to exchange an experience for sexual favors. Fast forward to the year 2021, 2022. Yeah, we're doing the same thing. And, and so before that, it was arranged marriage. A lot of people would meet their spouse at the altar, like the day that you pledged your life for them. That was the day you met. So there has to be something more to, you know, physical attraction, the chemistry or, or trying to find the one, a soulmate. You're not looking for a S-O-U-L mate. You're looking for a soulmate, S-O-L-E mate. That's one mate for a lifetime, someone that you can commit to. Alex, I'm, I mean, I, I follow you. I, I'm fun loving. I'm not trying to like just check people's emotions at the door. I'm not asking, you know, your viewers to be a martyr, right? You can have fun. You can be with someone you enjoy, but just understand regardless of who you marry, there's going to be days you don't like them. You know, there's going to be days you feel out of love with them. Right. And so if it's all about this, like, oh, I'm looking for the one, then when you have, when those feelings fade, you think, oh, I must have married the wrong one. And now I got to go back on the search for the right one. And we get in this weird philosophical place that I don't think is serving anyone well. And it's why we're seeing the highest levels of divorce in the history of history. Is it biblical for a woman to pursue a man or make the first move? I mean, if you say, is it, when you say, is it biblical? Like I think, what well, is it in the Bible? And um, the only example that I know of that people would point to there is Ruth and Boaz. And there's just some weird language there. Um, she laid at his feet. We don't know exactly what that means. Uh, I don't, here's what I think is biblical. It says in Romans, love must be sincere. And so I think so often we can play these games where, where a, a woman likes a guy and she has no idea what to do. And so she's just like playing this waiting game of like, oh, you know, I guess I'll just, you know, bake him cookies or see if he notices me or like trip in front of it. I mean, you know, I don't know. And <laughs> I, here's what I would say you should do is, is let him know you're interested. I mean, let him know if he if he says, hey, I, you know, you could say, you know, if you asked me out, I would say yes. You know, those kinds of things just just because I don't I don't like playing games. I don't I think it builds something counterfeit. But here would be the word of caution is you're choosing your problems. And sometimes the problems you're choosing in that is an apathetic guy, meaning he doesn't, he lacks initiative. He's, he's timid. Uh, he's, he's not going to, 
you know, be the first to engage. And so you may be choosing those problems. So on the dates, you know, as you guys progress in dating, you're going to want to see, does this guy take initiative? Is he, is he not apathetic? Like, does he have drive? And uh, those would be the things that I'm looking for, but I don't know how you feel about it. I just, if, if I'm studying the scriptures, I don't see anything in the Bible that condemns a girl from telling a guy that she's interested in him. I think it's a, I think it goes a lot with personality. I mean, my personality is I words of affirmation is my love language and I like reassurance and stuff. So it scares me to put myself out there first and yeah. kind of, you know, ask a guy like, do you like me? Like, I want them to be the first one to say it because then I feel reassured. Like, OK, he's yeah. definitely into me because it was his idea first. You know what I'm right. saying? Sure. Which, absolutely. <laughs> but um, you're, you're choosing your problems. And that, I think that's the thing you want to go into it sober mindedly and just say, OK, what are the problems I'm choosing? Right. Yeah, that's true. That's for sure. You also talk about besides interests and hobbies being the same, not being one of the most important things in a relationship. You also discuss fit, like looks, someone's looks and how that should yeah. be the most important thing. But here's my question for you. What if you love everything about a person? OK, their character, their love for Christ, everything is lining up. But no matter what you do, you just don't find yourself sexually attracted to them whatsoever. Yeah. 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 So what I think you do in this situation. So you, you, the way you set that up is you love everything about them and I'll reframe it just ever so slightly and say, let's say everything about them is, is godly. Yes. Uh, they, they're pursuing the Lord. You know, they, they love his word. They're serving in their church. They're controlled, responsible, obedient, serving, steady. And, and you're not attracted to them. That's where I would go to God and say, God, will you change my heart and make me attracted to what you're attracted to? Because in first Samuel 16, it says, he says, I don't look at what everyone else looks at. I look at a person's heart. And if they have a great heart, uh, you know, why am I not attracted to them? And, and it maybe, you know, because, because they're ugly. Right. But it's just like, am I so, am I so entrenched in the world that, like the world has defined the way that I see beauty because what is beautiful has changed throughout time. I mean, different shapes, different sizes, uh, different, you know, heights, all the things have been found attractive throughout time. We can trace it back. And if God's attracted to someone, then I want to say, okay, well, why am I not? And Lord, if there's anything just like completely superficial in me, will you, will you change that? Because here's why, Alex, I'm an artist. And my wife is beautiful. That's usually the criticism that I, I receive on, on saying these things like, well, what about you? Your wife's beautiful. And, and I get that, but I don't, I don't want to make that the most important thing because the Proverbs 31 30 says beauty is fleeting. And I want to ask your viewers, listeners, you know, are any of them attracted to the 85 year old man? You know, they were like, oh, man, he's hot. Right. You yeah, know, the some guy of the freaks on TLC would be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like his teeth are falling out. He's walking with a walker and he's just a real hottie. And and my hope is that your husband's going to be that. Like, I hope. Right. And, and, and you think, well, but my heart will grow with them. I mean, the truth is you're always going to be attracted to the 23 year old co-ed with a six pack. And and so, I mean, I, I want to. Um, I want to love and find beautiful what God finds beautiful. So in that situation, I would go slow. You shouldn't be a martyr. You shouldn't marry someone that you can't cherish. But if you can't cherish them, I would begin to do the heart surgery and say, okay, Lord, what is it about me that I don't find them attractive? 
In regards to going slow, though, how long is too long to date someone and still not get engaged? Yeah. I mean, beyond, man, let me just say this here. I think most people date without having the end in mind at all. Like they, they're they just dating for the emotional roller coaster, the highs and lows and all the feels and not like, oh, this is why we're dating because I'm trying to find out X, Y, and Z. And so like when Monica sends me to the grocery store to buy milk, um, you know, she's real specific. She's very, Monica's my wife. She's very particular. She's like, I want you to get the organic 2% blue label, blue lid, you know, in this section, half gallon, right? That's what I want. And so I'm looking at the list and I'm going through the milk section. What I don't do, Alex, is I don't open the freezer and just kind of like, okay, how do I feel? You know, <laughs> how do I feel? Which milk is, which milk is the one, which one am I vibing with? No, I'm looking at the list and I'm, I'm looking for the one that meets the description. And when I find the one that meets the description, I commit to it. And really this is what dating is, is this, it's this idea of, I know what I'm looking for. So I know when I found it, like, forget this. You just know when you know, or, you know, follow your heart or yeah, when you feel a certain thing. way. I've talked about that yeah. on the podcast before. I hate it. Yeah. You don't follow your heart until you've informed your heart, until you told your heart what to look like. Your heart's like a bloodhound. You know, it's going to, it's going to seek out what you tell it to look for. So tell it what to look for. And so if I'm dating someone and, and it's beyond like, okay, they, I'm, I'm here to find out if they would make a great husband. And now I've found that out and I continue to date them. I'm like, what am I really doing? Cause at some point we're going to be tempted to play marriage to play married and we weren't created to stay in this perpetual dating phase like date for as short as possible efficiently and effectively as possible to get to a place where it's like okay i want to commit my life to you and it's going to be hard it's going to be messy and i'm going to feel all kinds of ways but we're committed to each other we're a team let's go is it fair if you're in that perpetual dating phase to give your boyfriend an ultimatum and say you need to get serious about getting engaged or we're breaking up I think it can be fair. You know, is it, is it, uh, you, you want to be careful with like, Hey, am I just trying to control everything? Like is my real frustration that I'm not in control mm. and I don't like that feeling? Is it that, or is it that we've been dating three and a half years? And if it's, you've been dating three and a half years, I would just ask him rather than the ultimatum, I would say, Hey, what is it that you want to find out about me? And how long do you need to find it out? That's good. I think it's a really powerful question. I think that is really powerful. What, what is it that you hope to find out about me in this dating phase? And, and how long do you need to find out the answer to that question? And is there anything that I can do to help you? Because if it's like, well, I want to see you in, you know, in four seasons, or I want to, you know, experience uh, how you handle, you know, real loss, or I want to just like, man, those are great thoughtful answers. Probably not what he's going to say. If you've been dating three and a half years, he's probably gonna say, I don't, I don't know. You know, I just, uh, why, why ruin a good thing? You know, here we are, we're dating. Right. It's fun. Well, you know, you know, and I just like, that's lame. So, you know how girls are. I mean, we travel in packs. We're always giggling and talking about what's going on in any each other's lives. And one of the things that we get excited to talk about is when we're in a new relationship. But I wonder how much should someone who's dating open up to people outside of the relationship about good or bad things that you're experiencing in your relationship? How healthy is that or not healthy? Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm a big fan of like the concept of community. And so I kind of have a board of directors, Alex, over my life. 
And, and for those who are part of our church who are single, they have what's, we call it a life group, small group, home group, cell group, community group, different churches call it different things. But I think it's good to, there's about 16 Proverbs that say wisdom comes from the council of many. And, uh, and so that's, that it's good to say, Hey, how should I handle this? Hey, what do you guys think about this? And that they're well-informed, but if it's just like how you, you would say, you know, spilling the tea, like if I'm just coming together to just, Oh my gosh, you won't believe. And, and I start to talk to people about people who aren't a part of the problem or the solution. Uh, that that's where, you know, we're entering into the gossip realm that I would just proceed with caution if you will, because it's not like um, we're not we're not talking about celebrities. We're not talking about people that we don't have a relationship with who, who have opted to be in the public forum, if you will. We're talking about people we have a relationship with that are in our lives. And um, and I think, you know, that can be sinful. So that that's where I would proceed with caution there. Is that is that helpful? Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it is actually uh, looking for people that are wiser and gone through more than you that are also sound Christians. I think that could g- yeah. give good advice. I, mentors, basically accountability partners. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. People who are part of the problem or part of the solution. That's kind of your your circle. They're giving you counsel. And so you're not sharing things for just entertainment value, but to seek wisdom. Mm. What is the difference between looking for chemistry while dating and looking for sanctification? And could you explain what sanctification is? Yeah, sanctification is just a 10 cent seminary word that means to become holy. And so the the Holy Spirit, if, if we're Christian, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins, then his Holy Spirit comes into our life to, to work into our life, really to, to make us holy. And the best word picture I'd give you is kind of like, um, uh, you know, Michelangelo, if he's he's sculpting something out of a block of marble, he's chipping away that which doesn't look like the object. And what's left is is the statue of David or what's left is is a statue. And and so what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's chipping away that in our life, which does not look like Jesus. And that process is called sanctification. It doesn't always uh, it doesn't always feel good, if you will. And it really is is the complete opposite of of and I, I would say not opposite but it's a different spectrum than chemistry because when i think of chemistry it's like i want someone like-minded someone like me you know to love them is really to love myself because i see so much of myself in them and there's there's not a lot sanctifying in that common interest but when i'm with someone you know i really think god created opposites to attract i i see that a lot and when i'm with them there's a lot of dying to myself that has to happen for me to serve Monica in a way that, that she wants to, you know, cherish me in return. And so uh, that's the sanctifying process. We, we see that in Ephesians five, he says, you know, love her to make her holy, like love her in a way that she's made holy. That's, that's sanctified is that word. And I think that's a, a part of the um, mission of marriage is sanctification through service. Mm. Are long-distance relationships healthy and sustainable for a young Christian couple? Healthy long-distance relationships are healthy. And so it, it just depends on, I mean, again, in the context of dating, if I'm dating long distance, I want to know for how long and what the end game is. Because so many couples, it's like, okay, you're in New York, he's in LA. And, and you know, he's like, well, I'm never going to live in New York. And you're like, well, I'm never going to live in L.A. And it's like, well, are you going to meet in Montana or what's the what's the game plan? Right. Because if, if you guys 
if you don't have good answers to that, you could be just wasting each other's time. And, uh, and so I would want to know like, Hey, what do we need to find out to make sure that the other one is a good spouse? And how are we going to find that out through, you know, through FaceTime, if you will. And how often are we going to, you know, be together and just really it's, again, it's having a plan like this dating thing of the three categories, single dating and marriage. I, I really think dating is the least fun. Like single, you're uninhibited. You see the world. You you can make your own decisions. You can think for yourself. Like go have a blast. Marriage, you get to have sex, experience intimacy, raise a family, all the things. Dating, it's the interview. And so I just, if I'm dating someone long in a long distance relationship, I just want to be in the interview for as short as possible. Uh, that's going to be pretty heart wrenching, you know, to stay there. Well, how how should guys and girls navigate when they have anxiety about marriage or commitment or they're, you know, like so they're just like, well, I'm just really scared. My parents went through something horrible. Their marriage wasn't good. And so I'm just terrified to make that leap. Yeah, we used to have this um, swing in our front yard as a rope swing. So it just had this like wooden disc and it was a rope that was tied to this tree limb. And. It was in the front yard. So like kids and all in the neighborhood would come and swing on it and they'd have such a great time. And, and I would just, I'd often be sitting on the couch and I would just hear like giggles and laughter from the front yard as this source of life. And, and one day this kid came over and he ran and he jumped on that swing and the disc fell and he fell to the ground and all the kids were there around him, you know, and he was just like on the ground, you know, crying and, and luckily wasn't, uh, you know, badly hurt, but uh, and everybody saw the swing break. And so I fixed it, but then I was like, all right, you guys swing. And they're like, uh-uh, and I'm like, why not? And they're like, cause it's breakable. We don't want anything to do with it because it's breakable. And I think as we think about marriage, Gen Z millennials, as we look at marriage, the only kind of marriage that we've had examples of is breakable marriages. So we're like, man, I don't want to touch that. Yes. You know, it's breakable and that's going to hurt. If I swing on that thing, it's going to, I'm going to fall and it's going to hurt and I don't want to get hurt. So I'm going to avoid it like the plague. And so, you know, in the same way with the swing, it's like I had to go and show them. It's like, hey, here's why it broke and here's why it's not going to break again. And these are the things that you can do to make sure that it doesn't break. And, and almost look at marriage in the same way. It's like, okay, here's why your parents' marriage didn't last. So, so you, you don't want what they had. And so, so pursue it in a different way. That's the whole heart behind outdated. It's like the way that, that the world is dating is outdated. We need to go back to something that's even older than that, but more tried and true where relationships were healthy, divorce rates were, were low and people were thriving. And, and so um, and some of that's a step forward. Some of that's a step backwards. I mean, it really is like pulling the best from, from both worlds. And so I think it's understanding why marriages don't last and dealing with your anxiety. What's the source of it? Like what's underneath it? I mean, if someone legit has real anxiety around anything, I'd say, Hey, get help. Right. You know, understand why that's there and you don't have to live with that. And it's never, it may never go away completely, but you can get to a place where it's better off. And I, I mean, I'm a guy who struggles with anxiety. I've had seasons of my life of, of paralyzing anxiety and I've, I've found help and I've gotten healthy. And, uh, and I, I want that for other people, anyone that would struggle in that way. So let's say all of these things that you said you should be looking for in a future spouse, you are dating someone and you know that your boyfriend or girlfriend has none of those. Like, you know, you need to break up. 
what is the biblical way to break up with someone um, or, you know, how should Christians go about breaking up with someone? Yeah, I think you want to be clear and you want to be kind. And I do think clarity is kindness. And it's just like, hey, here's here's what I observe in our relationship that is unhealthy and I no longer want to be a part of it. And I'm sure I've, I've contributed to that unhealth in these ways. And I'm sorry, will you please forgive me for, or uh, that's good words to use. And, you know, I'm going to look, I'm going to move forward. I wish you the best. And so let's, let's just talk through some ground rules. Like, Hey, please don't text me. Please don't call me because I'm going to move forward. And I want you to do the same. And it's going to be hard. I'm like saying all of this, like with a straight face. I mean, I know these are like choke crying, you know, snot crying conversations. Uh, But if, if that's where you're at, I think the most loving thing that you can do is in the relationship so that they can find someone uh, that, that, you know, they're going to spend the rest of their life with, and you can find someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. If there's any sin in that relationship, if you've sinned against them in any way, you know, confess it, ask for forgiveness and move on, look forward and uh, surround yourself with God fearing people. If you're a girl, like have a bunch of other, you know, women in your life who will help, you know, carry you in that season. And, uh, and likewise, if for a guy and, and you want to move forward. I have a couple questions about the engagement stage before we get into sex, which is, I know, what everyone wants to talk about. Okay, so how important is premarital counseling, and should you do it before getting engaged or after getting engaged? Yeah, there's no, I mean, the scripture doesn't say engagements is really not a biblical concept outside the betrothal period. The scripture doesn't say, hey, where should you have uh you know, pre-marriage counseling, and I'm a simple guy, and I just I just teach the Bible, like I said. So I, I think you have some flexibility there. It probably depends on the relationship, uh, depends on what's available to you. Like here, there's an amazing ministry called Merge that has helped a ton of couples in their their pre-marriage uh, work. Another one is Legacy Countdown that I know of, and so those guys, you know, they're they're extremely helpful in in helping couples uh, engaged, and in some cases, you know moving toward the engagement. I think you always want to be working on the relationship. And I think you want to know, Hey, these are the questions that I'll think about is like, Hey, when should we talk about our past? You know, when, when do you want to hear about my exes and the things that I've done there? And, and the rule for me there is, is under that banner of love must be sincere, share everything that they want to know. Um, and, and just make sure like you you guys are on the same page. Uh, so I don't think there's, there's a rule there hard and fast, Alex, pre-married or, or engaged. What was the other question? Um, that was it. Just should you do premarital counseling before you're engaged or after? Because some people say while you're dating, you should do it so that yeah. you know if you should get engaged in the first place. When I think about that life group, community group, home group, small group, uh, I mean, that's kind of a, a you know, long-term premarital counseling because you're processing things in that group. You're, you're gleaning the counsel of many. They're seeing the aspects of the relationship. They're able to coach you along the way. And so that's, I hope that that's happening for everyone kind of all throughout that process. But at some point you say, okay, now we want to intentionally have someone to help us prepare for this next season. What does it mean when the Bible is talking about a man needs to outgrow childish things and leave his mother and cleave to his wife? What does that mean? Yeah. So first two, two verses there, first Corinthians 13, he says, when I was a child, I walked like a child. I thought like a child, I talked like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. First Corinthians 13 is, is a chapter all about love. You hear it in weddings, almost any wedding you've ever been to, they read first Corinthians 13. And so he's saying, Hey, when I, like when my daughter was little, she loved cats 
but cats hated her because she would grab them by the fur and pick them up and, you know, look, dad, they can do somersaults. He can fly, Aww. you know, and it's like that's not loving to the cat. But as she grows older, like she learns what it means to love. And so likewise, when when a when a man is a boy, you know, he thinks he loves these two dimensional Im- images on the computer. Um, he loves baseball. He loves all the he loves Starbucks and chocolate. And as he grows a man into as a man, he's going to learn what it means to love you. So that's first Corinthians 13. And the other one is Genesis two. And then Jesus repeats it in Matthew 19. Uh, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And in ministry, we call that the leave and cleave verse. And, And I think a great application to that is to understand that there's a point in everyone's life where you know, their their mom and their dad, that relationship with their family is replaced with a new person. And it's not like that relationship needs to go away, but the place that it holds in that person's life, it, it slides to second or third, if you will, um, God being in the first place. Meaning um, if, if Monica is constantly putting me on the back burner to continue to build the relationship with her mom, then she hasn't done a good job of, of leaving and cleaving vice versa me with, with my parents. So that's, that's a good application I think is in regards to that verse. Yeah. And I think for some couples, they struggle with that more than others of, you know, the in-laws really being involved too much. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to, you want to talk through boundaries. And so the way that I would handle that is invite them over a a real formal setting. Hey, please sit down. Hey, I brought you here today because I want, I I know that you guys are for us, that you desire for our marriage to be healthy, our relationship to be healthy. And one of the things that we've argued about is just how much we should see you guys and how involved y'all should be. And I want, you to know, I love you. I'm for you. I want to make sure that we maintain a healthy relationship but I think that that healthy relationship is going to be defined by some boundaries. Here's what I think they are. Do you agree and have that conversation like reasonable adults? All right. So let's get into the sex category. Let's go. Give me your best argument, Pastor JP, for why a Christian should wait till marriage to have sex. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think so. My best argument would be um and it's, it's that you're, this is not going to satisfy anyone. So give me a, let me have a follow-up. My best argument is because that's what God says. And so he created us and, you know, he wrote the owner's manual. He created our bodies. He created the parts. He knows uh, he made them function the way they do. Like sex was his idea, you know? And so he came up with it, like truly father, son, and Holy spirit. They're like, Oh man, let's make that part and let's make it, you know, fit here. And, you know, work in that way and, and create life. And, and so sex was his invention. So then we say, well, why did he invent it? And, and I think for two reasons, um, for procreation, like through the act of sexual intimacy, we create a human being, which is wild. And secondly, to bond, like you said, in, in Genesis two, Matthew 19, to bond a husband and wife. And so as we come together, uh, as a husband and wife comes together, like there's, there's literally this, this um, physiological, I would say miracle that happens. And, um, and so they're bonded. If you think about people outside of marriage, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, you know, experience the pleasure apart from the bonding and apart from the children most often. And uh, you say, well, didn't God create sex for pleasure? I say, no, God created the pleasure to create the bonding. And so that we would have children, because if, if sex felt like a spinal tap, you know, there would like, 
civilization would stop, you know, cease to exist. You yeah, know, there wouldn't, no there kidding. Wouldn't be, there wouldn't be babies being born. And so then I would say also the C.S. Lewis has this line. He says, you know, often when you when you climb over the fence to steal the fruit, it doesn't taste as sweet when you enter through the gate. And uh, and that's that's a little bit metaphorical to say that I I meet with couples all the time that don't enjoy intimacy in marriage because they've stolen it outside of marriage. But what does that and, mean? Uh, like because they're comparing it to other people that they slept with or what? I, the the why is 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 a it's um it would be a list of a, a list of hundreds of reasons truly. It's hard to explain exactly why, but we just know that sin always has consequences and a lot of times those consequences come in ways that we didn't see. And so it's, it's for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes it's shame, like someone will experience shame. And so it's like, I can't enjoy it here because I look back and I, you know, sometimes it's comparison. Sometimes it's, it's the, it's the shame from, or the, or the fear of comparison. It can be any number of reasons, but um, what happens is that, that intimacy outside of marriage, you bring that into marriage. And again, I just would remind your listeners, like, this is my story. So not only the hundreds of people that I've counseled, uh, you know, that, I, that I've gotten to talk with about this, but I've also experienced it firsthand. I mean, and for a, for a season in my marriage, it was like, wait a minute, but we, you know, remember when we were pagans, it was like wheels off and in, anything goes. And now we're here and it's allowed, but it, it seems like, you know, once a week on Wednesdays, like, well, what's the deal? And those were things that we had to talk through and, and think through and, and grow through, honestly. And I see it all the time. Um, well, what if you what if you honor God? Okay, you wait till marriage to have sex, but then you do have sex, and the sex is awful. Yeah, yeah. I think you know, sex is gonna be awful. <laughs> that's what I would tell you. Is is if you've never had sex, that's what a lot of people dream about the honeymoon. And I can't tell you how many couples I've counseled they didn't have sex on the honeymoon. You know, and really? for any number, yeah, all the. I mean, like. All the time, Alex. Because they were just too, the time, they were truly. so in their head. They were like, we got to wait. Like, we're not ready or what? It could be in their head. It could be painful. It, it, it could be a number of reasons. It could be time of the month. It could be a lot of different reasons where it's like, hey, that didn't, that just didn't happen. I don't know what in the cards for us. And here's what I would say that that might be, feel like such a shattered dream. It's like, it's okay. You, you have your entire life to run this marathon, to figure this out. You know, and so I think everybody is like, hey, you know, like, like in the world, they say dumb things like, well, I just want to make sure everything fits or whatever. It's like, that's, listen, any guy, any girl, dark room, like they're, you're going to be attracted to each other. Like God made your body to be able to do that. And, and it's not something that you have to test drive or practice. Um, it, it's, it's really something that you can enjoy for the rest of your life and like learn how to together for the rest of your life. And you don't need to steal from that outside of marriage. And can I say one more thing on this is, is the guy that is willing to have sex with you outside of marriage. He's really telling you something really important. He's saying, Hey, I don't value the marriage covenant. I'm willing to go outside of it. And so that you also look at the statistics of infidelity of people who've had premarital sex. It's, it's way higher Right. And wow. he, he told you that he told you that he said, listen, I'm willing to go outside of the marriage covenant for sex. You need to know that. Should you marry me? 
right? And you're married to me. You just need to know I am a guy who's willing to go outside the marriage covenant for sex because I'm willing to do it with you and I'm willing to do it with other people if I'm married to you. I don't value the marriage covenant. He's communicating that clearly. And that's really what I see in our culture today is this devaluation of marriage. Marriage was God's idea. It was his invention too. Like he was the first efficient of a wedding. Like he created that. And it's, it's about something much more than we realize. People always ask me like, well, you know, will I be married in heaven? No, the scripture tells us the church is the bride of Jesus and married to Jesus in heaven. And so marriage is this metaphor. It's not just a metaphor, but it is first a metaphor to teach us about how God loves us and how we're going to be married to him forever in heaven. And when we when we change what marriage is and we redefine it and we think of it in different ways or we just avoid it altogether, uh, we, we really are confused on how God invented this thing and why. So what if uh, you want to live together before you're married, but not have sex? Like you literally do not have sex. Then would it be okay to live together? Yeah, I would just say, man, you were not made to do that. <laughs> I, I, uh, I would say if you're living together before you're married, not having sex, I'm like, man, are you sure you'd like that guy? Because I don't know how you would do that. Your body wasn't made to be under the same roof with someone that you're attracted to and, and to suppress your sexual desires in that way. Like God made us to attract. And, uh, and so not only are you feeding yourself to temptation, but you're also like kind of rewiring your brain. And so like, what's going to happen when you walk down the aisle, you know, here comes the bride, you may kiss your, your, your wife, that switch doesn't just flip. It's not like, yeah, we've lived together for a year. We didn't do this, but now we can, I mean, you're, you're inviting all kinds of baggage into that situation. Mm. Is it okay to not have sex before marriage, but do everything else physical, oral sex, all the other stuff? Yeah, sexting, all, all the things. Yeah, so 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, flee sexual immorality. So you flee all other sin a person commits or outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You've been bought by a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so people say, well, how far is too far? And I say, well, it's like if you were on the top of a building and, and you said, how close to the edge can I get of this you know, 12-story building? I would say, well, do you want to jump off? Because if you, if you want to jump off, don't even get on the elevator. Don't even get close to the top. When it comes to sexual intimacy, we all want to jump off. Like, like our, our desire is to give ourselves to the person that we care about. And so I would say, man, flee anything that's going to begin to prepare your body for sex. And that's usually pretty clear, clear for people. How far is too far? When your body begins to prepare itself for sex, you've gone too far because. And you're talking about physical signs of arousal. That's that's absolutely correct. Okay. Uh, in, in a woman and a man, right, respectively. So when your body begins to physically become aroused, prepare itself for sex, you've gone too far because that's unloving. Like it is unloving to get someone all worked up and then say, okay, I got to go home, you know, <laughs> see you next week. Like you weren't made to do that. Like that's not kind, right? And so there's a reason that God made your body to, to prepare for that and to do that, it's so that life would be brought forth and a husband and wife would be bonded through the pleasure of that activity. And yet we try to capture that pleasure without those so-called, I'm doing air quotes, consequences. 
And, uh, and so, you know, that's what I would say that that's too far. All right. So, so let's fast forward. Now you're married. Now you're married, all of that good stuff. Is God okay with married people being as kinky as they want to be? I mean, as weird or as rough when it comes to sex as they want to. Yeah. You say rough, you know, I think it's, I, I think God is okay for us to do anything that is loving for our spouse, meaning within their, um, that, that they agree to, like they weren't coerced in, they weren't talked into, they weren't sold, if you will. And I would say other than a really firm line um, against bringing anyone else into the relationship, be it physically, digitally, you know, pornography, anything like that. Like it is husband and wife, the two of you, no one else. He says, keep the marriage bed pure. And so between the two of you that you agree to, that's, that's not harmful to you. It's anything goes right. Is if, if she's okay with it, he's okay with it. You guys agree to it. You guys can enjoy each other in, in all kinds of number of ways, if you will. And, and you said oral sex and so forth, so on. Right. Uh, but that, that, but I would draw a really hard and fast line against bringing anyone else into the marriage or any other images, if you will, of, of people into the marriage. Okay, so I cannot believe I'm about to ask a pastor this, but you okay. you already like crossed some lines. I feel like. So. Oh no! <laughs> I, don't, well, I don't know what I don't know what's about to be said. I'm not kidding you. I ask cute conservatives. <laughs> What is the number one question you have that you would be way too embarrassed to ask? And I will ask it. And yeah. over and over again, the question that Christian couples want to know is if okay. anal sex is acceptable between a married yeah. man and a married woman. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that's where you were going to go. I, um, the, well, here's like the real like bummer uh, to my answer. Give it I to say, us. I don't, I don't know. Okay. Like who, you know, drum roll, I don't know, but here's my own personal convictions are no, because as I've read and studied that it can be harmful to our bodies. And, uh, that is a place where lots of toxins are stored and, um, and it, and it, you know, it's hurtful to us. Like you can get literally sick and, um, listen, I love my wife. I care about her and I want to do everything I can um, for her to thrive and to be healthy. And again, you know, her body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to cherish her in that way. Um, but that that's something I would say, you know, talk to a doctor. And if the doctor is like, hey, I, I think that is okay in this way and something that you guys want to do. Um, I don't see a scripture that says absolutely no way um, it, it, that it's condemned in that way. But it is a personal conviction of mine not to. And uh, I am surprised that that's the big, uh, I knew, I knew that's what you were going to ask based on the setup, but I'm surprised <laughs> that's what everybody wants to know. You yeah, know? So you're getting that question too. Well, I, I, I really don't get a lot of that question, but a lot of what it looks too like, scared in, to ask. <laughs> what it looks like in my world. Well, people, I do a Friday Q and a, and people ask just about anything uh, via Instagram, but what it looks like in my world is, um, you know, if, am I still a virgin if I've had anal sex or um, is, is anal sex allowed? Like, like in our minds, we create this weird legalistic thing. It's just like, hey, vaginal sex is what's condemned outside of marriage and anything else goes like, no, you completely have missed the point. 
It's the flee sexual immorality piece. You know, get married. Um, in First Corinthians seven, it says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And so he really presents this dichotomy of two options: you can get married, you know, or, or you can burn with passion. But he doesn't say better to masturbate than to burn with passion. Better to have anal sex. Better to do this. He says better to marry than to burn with passion. And so, um, yeah, I, I wish I had a better answer for you, but. Is masturbation acceptable in singleness? Also, is it acceptable in marriage? It's been a, a big hot topic lately. And I would say, you know, so people will ask questions, different flavors of this question is, you know, can I masturbate if I don't lust? You know, this and that. I don't think it's possible to masturbate without lusting. But what we if think you're just lust- thinking of your spouse? Yes. Yeah, so if you're married. Right. Yeah, I would say with their permission, potentially, like if they're okay with it, but you are you're stealing something from them because sex was this was designed for the sanctification of a really ideally like our our sexual desires would even out over time. And it's it's highly unlikely that you're going to marry someone with the same sexual desires as you. Right. And so over time, as you love and serve each other, hopefully that will even out in some way. Or you'll figure out some way to serve each other uh, so that, you know, there's there's contentment there, There's but there's a sacrifice made. I think a lot of times people just want to avoid that sacrifice. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Mm. And so I have a hard time not seeing that as, as an act of selfishness. It's like, I have this desire. I want to satisfy it. I'm going to take matters into my own hands, right? And so the, I, I think that's selfish. First Corinthians seven, again, says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. It says, do not withhold this from each other, except for a period of time that you've agreed upon. And so it's like, I'm not to withhold sex from my wife. Um, it's unloving to her to, un- to withhold that unless we, uh, unless we agree upon some time, you know, for fasting uh, and prayer. And so for those reasons, I, I don't think like solo masturbation is allowed now if it's like mutual in in the sense of like the two of you together somehow and you're married um sure that that would fall under the banner of anything goes as long as you don't hurt each other and it's it's in the spirit of loving one another i appreciate your candidness and being willing to answer these questions do you think it's a problem um in the christian culture young couples just getting married as soon as possible because they're dying to have sex and then their marriage implodes yeah, I think that could be a problem for sure. That's why that community piece is so important. I mean, so often people marry against, you know, they run through all the warning signs and everybody around them that loves them saying, hey, this is a really bad idea. Don't do this. But they're like, hey, we're better married than to burn with passion. So we're just going to marry, get married so we can have sex. And uh, and and sexual intimacy is not going to be enough to hold you together. So you need to have something healthy, some healthy foundation. So you want to love Jesus uh, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And and then you want to find someone who loves Jesus more than you do and spend the rest of your life with them. If you have had sex before you're married, how do you work through that guilt and remorse from your past once you are married, like what you went through? Yeah, I'm so, I'm so glad you asked that. Uh, for the person who, you know, thank you, Juan, for just staying with us in and through all of this. And I would just say, man, there is amazing grace. Like there's forgiveness. Like the reason that I share my story with the confidence that I do is that I know I read the Bible. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's Romans 8.1. Uh, he's no longer counting my sins against me. That's 2 Corinthians 5. So I'm holding fast to those promises. My sin was paid for on the cross. And so that's what happened with Jesus. When Jesus died for me, like 
like all of God's anger at my sin was satisfied on himself, on his son, Jesus Christ. And so he's not holding that against me. And so I have, I, I have this like miracle of getting to walk in the righteousness of Jesus, that that has been imputed to me uh, and that I've been declared righteous because of what God did, not because of what I do. And so if you're hearing this and you just feel overwhelmed by shame, I would just say that's of Satan, that's of the devil. Like he wants to uh, pulverize you into, you know, just complete, complete paralysis of shame so that you can't do anything effective for the kingdom. But if you begin to share your story and you begin to, to attach the gospel to it, you know, God will use it for good to help set others free. And for a lot of your listeners, you know, that's, that's going to be a story of abuse. Uh, That's going to be a story of all kinds of things that have, have happened to us. Maybe it wasn't even something that we chose. Right. And, and if we, if we bring that to the light, like, like lose the mentality, Hey, I'm going to take this to my grave, but begin to talk about it with somebody and get comfortable uh, talking about it. You'll never be comfortable that that's your story or your narrative. But as you get comfortable talking about it and sharing the story, God can use it for good. And this is, you know, it says in the scripture, what the, what the enemy has meant for evil, God can use for your good. Uh, that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. That's Romans eight twenty eight, And so um, that's, I would say, find healing, a recovery ministry, uh, talk to a counselor, you know, that small group that we talked about, be a member of your church, talk to a pastor. All of those things are healthy steps forward from your past, um, whether that's something you've done or something that's been done to you. Within marriage, should you always be readily available for sex with your spouse if they want it, even if you don't? Uh, I know I don't. I mean, I think your marriage is is a compromise, and so um, I think I want to do everything I can to serve my wife, and and at the same time, like I'm not playing the card, like hey, you know, you have to always be ready, and and she she's being challenged by the Holy Spirit, by people, by the girls in her life, but you know, as she reads the scriptures. And so I, I think it's unre- an unreasonable expectation to think, uh, one, that somebody's always going to be ready to serve you, and two, that you're going to be able to always be ready to serve someone else. I mean, sometimes we're sick, we've had a long day, there's a thousand things going on, and so we, we need to compromise and love our, our, our spouse, but especially as ourselves. First Corinthians, I mean, First Peter 3 says um, that I'm to live with her in an understanding way. And so that's why I always think, how can I live with her in an understanding way? I love that. I love that verse. Okay, so getting off topic of sex and then moving into marriage, is it okay with you if we go just a couple minutes over what I normally do? We're almost done. Yeah, praise God. I'm like sweating over here. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Let's go. Okay, so is it possible to unconditionally love your spouse or can only Jesus unconditionally love someone? No, I, I think all we can do is conditionally love somebody, but it, it is possible to unconditionally be committed to them, meaning, um, you know, to say, hey, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I know I talk about it in Outdated, a couple that got married and on the honeymoon, a wave crashed her into a rock and she's she's a quadriplegic. I mean, paralyzed from the neck down. Wow. I mean, nobody gets married thinking that's going to happen or be their story. But when you say I do, you're not saying, hey, I do, unless you get paralyzed from the neck down. And so when I do pre-married counseling, I always say, I ask the couple, I'm like, hey, what what would cause you to leave him? And she's always like, nothing, never. He's like, no way, I'll never leave her. And 
And I'm like, okay, well, like, what if she cheated on you with your brother, you know, and put it on YouTube and made a music video? It's like, well, yeah, no, then I'm, I'm out. Made a music like, video. I like that part. <laughs> Great. He's like, well, I'm out. Well, I'm like, well, if, okay, well, should we put that in the vows? Because you're going to stand before God and say, for rich or poor and sickness and health until death do us part, you know? And you're going to make this covenant before God. So should we say, you know, rich or poor, sickness and health, unless she cheats on me with my brother, puts it on YouTube to a music video, right? Should we put that in the vows? Like, let's think about the words that you're about to say before God, because that's that's a big deal, right? And so, um, yeah, I I, uh, I, don't, I forgot where I was going with that. but Yeah, just talking that. about, is it possible to love someone unconditionally? I, I mean, I think yeah, you answered I, it. I don't I, I don't think you can love somebody unconditionally. Uh, I think you can be committed to somebody unconditionally. How do you respond to those that say, well, marriage is just a piece of paper. You know, if you're really committed, you're faithful, you love your partner, you live together. I don't know why there should be a reason to have to get married. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's my honest answer to that. For you, there's not. Mm. To that person, so there's not. It doesn't sound like, you, you know, you believe in the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so there is un, it would be unreasonable for me to hold you to his expectations when you don't have a relationship with him. So you're wow. right. If you go into that with, hey, marriage is just a piece of paper, you're right. It is just a piece of paper. I'm marriage for me because I have a relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth through his son, Jesus Christ. Marriage for me is this gift that he invented. It's safeguarded. It's a place of no shame. It's, it's beautiful. It's a place where I can, can have a family and it's safe, right? And so, so it's different for me, but for you, you see it as a piece of paper and it will be, it will be just that. What is the biblical way to fight within your marriage? Mm, you know, you seek to resolve conflict. And so um, everybody has different tendencies. Some people withdraw, some people escalate, some are given to negative interpretation and some invalidate. Um I, and so I, I want to understand what my temptation is in the midst of that conflict. For me, it's to escalate and for Monica is to withdraw. And so I tend to smother, Hey, come back. Wait, wait, we're not done talking. And she's like, I'm done. You know, I need to step away. Yep. I'm, like, I'm like Monica you know, for the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we get, we get stuck in that cycle. And so it's just, a, it's really to grow through that, to, to close the communication loop to work towards resolution for me to seek to sacrifice or to give up what I can for her good and, and to care for our family. Uh, we use what's called a Matthew 18 process in the church, which is if someone's hurt us, we go and we tell them directly and we say, Hey, you hurt me by, and we're looking to work toward those, that, that word, will you please forgive me for, and that, that through the, the ask and, and granting of forgiveness, there's reconciliation. What does it mean for a woman in a biblical perspective, to be submissive to her husband? And what does it mean for the man to be the spiritual leader? Yeah. So in, in the, if submission comes from Ephesians 5, and, and it really starts with a verse on reciprocal submission. And this is fascinating. It's a really big topic. We could do an entire pod, podcast or show on this topic alone. Reciprocal submission, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, is mm. what the verse says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and in reality, like we cannot force someone, we cannot force our authority on someone and, and be happy. Um, if that was true, like drug lords would be the happiest people on earth, um, but they're not. Uh, they're, they're typically miserable. Uh, I mean, like, an, like on antidepressants, miserable. I mean, truly, like just not happy. 
And uh, the only real way to find happiness is through serving someone so that they would want to follow us. And I think that's a beautiful picture of leadership in marriage. Like I want to serve Monica in such a way. It says, husbands, lay your lives down for her as Christ did for the church. That's sacrifice is the word. Sacrifice is a, is a much loftier word than even submission. So when I sacrifice my life for her, what other more appropriate response would she have other than other than to submit to my leadership, to follow me as I follow Christ. So that's the perfect picture. That's the ideal is husbands are laying their lives down for their wives through sacrifice, putting their interests before their own. And wives are saying, Hey, if you, as you lay your life down for me, I'm, I'm, I'm coming under you and, and submissive to you, but really we're making decisions together as we, uh, you know, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you're counseling married couples and one or both of them say to you, Pastor JP, my spouse just isn't meeting all of my needs anymore. Yeah. What yeah. do you say? I say that and they never will. <laughs> they, they can't. <laughs> Savage. They, 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 cannot, they cannot meet all your needs. They, they were not made to meet all your needs. And, and that can't be what you're saying. You know, it's, it's almost where I would go. I say, what, what is it that you're really saying is, is they're not meeting your expectations. Um, our greatest disappointments in life come from our expectations and entitlement is the highest platform from which we fall. And so when you went into marriage, what did you expect and what do you feel entitled to? And let's work on that to realign those expectations because it may be that they're not meeting your needs or meeting your expectations because you're not meeting theirs. And so as you want to work towards oneness in marriage, I would suggest drawing a circle around yourself and changing every, everything inside of it, you know, everything inside that circle work on you. And as you work on you, you're going to see something beautiful grow in them almost always. So that would be my counsel there. When is divorce biblically permissible? And then I just have two more questions and that's it. Yeah, so there's you know, when is divorce biblically permissible? Theologians call something um, the the adultery clause. It says, uh, except you know, you know, Jesus says, "Have you not read that um, you know for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and two will become one flesh?" He says, "Moses permitted you to divorce because your hearts were hardened." So essentially, they they ask Jesus, "When is divorce permissible?" And he says, "It's not." Mm. He goes, "It's not." And then he goes on to say, I tell you that anyone who divorces spouse, except for anything other than uh, marital unfaithfulness, commits adultery. And so some believe that that clause is saying that divorce is permissible in, in the sense of, or in the case of adultery. I don't think it's that simple, meaning we should, whatever we do should be to work toward reconciliation. And divorce may be permissible in a sense that it's it's the wisest thing to do to drive your spouse toward a place of repentance and reconciliation, but you're you're asking for a divorce or you're granting a divorce in, in the situation where you really hope to be reconciled to them, like you hope the Holy Spirit comes in their life and changes them. And people always go, well, like they're not going to change. You don't you don't understand. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. I'm like, well, you don't know my God, <laughs> you know, wow. because like my God brings the dead to life. Uh, he changes heart, like changing hearts. That's what he does best. He, that's not hard for him at all. It's not difficult. I've seen him, you know, take the Garrison demoniac who, you know, was foaming at the mouth and ripping chains from walls and cutting himself. And now he's dressed in, in his right mind. Like that's what my God does. And so I think we have to maintain that mentality 
because marriage is to teach us. It's a metaphor to teach us about how God loves us. And so it's like, when do we want, like, do I want God to leave me when I commit adultery? Because man, I have cheated on him countless times. And I'm so thankful that he's continuing to pursue me. And at the same time, I'm not one to say to the, to the, the spouse that, Hey, you need to stay in an abusive relationship. I'm not saying that uh, in an abusive relationship, you should certainly separate and create healthy boundaries so that you're safe. I want to be very clear about that. And in a serial adulterous relationship, I would also separate and, and withdraw yourself from that situation and bring in help and others to counsel you because all of those situations are going to be so nuanced. There's so much going on there that you're going to need someone thinking soundly uh, and, and helping guide you in your specific situation. So that's why I would bring in your pastor in that, in that case. I think that's one of the best ways I've heard a pastor answer that question ever, period, in my life. So I, I love oh, that answer. You. Would God call someone to a life of singleness, even if they have a strong desire to get married? Yeah. Would God call them to it? Um, I, I want to, I want to, if I may, I would say it like this, can someone stay single who has a desire for marriage? Absolutely. Um, that's really you know, disheartening say, to hear. I'm very upset. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, you know, I always people say, so Paul says, you know, singleness is a gift in first Corinthians seven. And I know we're like, sometimes it's like, well, does it have a receipt? Can I take it back? Can I exchange it? Uh, and so like, if you're wondering, do I have the gift of singleness? I can tell you with a hundred percent accuracy. I've never been wrong ever in my entire life on this. I can tell someone if they have the gift of singleness with one question. And it's this question, are you single? And if the answer to that question is yes, then yes, you have the gift of singleness today, right? And we don't like, we think the gift of singleness is this like terminal chronic situation that's not going to change. No, today you have the gift of singleness and you want to understand, like you want to see it as a gift, right? Not seek to lose the gift, but seek to use the gift. How do I use my gift of singleness until it's taken away from me and exchanged for the gift of marriage if it's going to be? And so I think that's the, you know, Alex, there's a lot of people who are married, who desire to be single. And there's a lot of people who are single who desire to be married. And what we learn in that is that, that we struggle mostly with just contentment. We always want a different season. Yes. Now you got to think, you got to think most like 50% of marriages end in divorce roughly. And then in another large percentage of marriages that don't end in divorce, they're not happily married. They're right. roommates, they're sleeping in separate rooms. There's no intimacy, there's no fun. And so what that tells me is most marriages fail. I mean, truly like most marriages fail. So as you think about just how disappointing it is that I may stay single the rest of my life, there's, there's, if you think single is bad, singleness is bad, there is something much worse than singleness and that's to be miserably married. And that is a lot of people's destiny. I mean, that is a, what a lot of people will choose. And so I would, I think the, our greatest next step is to try to learn contentment in the season that we're in so that we can, you know, use that season as an act of worship to God. And, um, you know, the, so those, those are some thoughts there. Now, would God call you to that? Uh, yes, he could, but we have to know and trust that God only calls us th to things that are good. He, he's every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of heavenly lights, James says, and, uh, and God cannot sin against us. Like God does not do anything that's harmful to us. Like he only does things that are for our good. He only gives us good gifts. And so if we have a gift that doesn't seem good, he's not done. 
Mm-hmm. And we need to ask him like, Hey, what are you doing here? And what do you want me to see, learn? What are you trying to teach me? And how do you want me to grow? And, and, you know, go to the father and ask those questions. So important. Okay. One wild hair question. And then this is it. We're done. Yeah. Is it okay to pursue parenthood outside of marriage, like adoption as a single man or a woman? Yeah, I, I, I think it is. You know, if I had to just answer in one word, I would say yes, but it would be, there's an asterisk attached to that. And I would say, you, you got to go in eyes wide open. Uh, it is, you know, fostering and adoption is not for the faint at heart. Parenthood for that matter is not for the faint at heart. And, and so I want to make sure that you have a community of believers around you that are nodding their head. And agreeing with you that you're not just following your heart, that you're not given to emotion, that you believe, hey, this is this is wise for me. They agree it's wise for you. And they're coming around you and they're saying, hey, we're going to help. Ideally, that child would have a, a father and a mother. But in the same situation of a, a single mom, you know, that that's not devastating that because that single mom is going to be able to bring in healthy male relationships for that child to to learn from. Right. And so you just you want a good strategy there if you're a single person considering parenthood and you want to make sure that there's a lot of people that agree a lot of god-fearing people that agree that that's a good idea pastor jp what is your instagram the name of your church if people are in or around waco and want to attend and how can they find you so i have the privilege of of serving with a church called harris creek outside of waco texas and my instagram is j pacluda that's the letter j p as in paul okay l as in lewis u d as in david a uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to be with you. Thanks for having me on today and, and for asking all the hard and awkward questions. Thank you. I appreciate you taking my hard and awkward questions. We'll talk soon. Uh, all right. Bye, friend. Never thought in a million years I'd be asking a pastor some of the questions I asked today. But I think it's important to be able to have someone, whether that's a pastor or an older Christian couple, to mentor you that you can ask hard questions to about love, sex, and relationships and get biblically backed advice. Order Pastor JP's book, Outdated, as a gift for yourself. It's a quick, easy read. I read it on a plane. Very conversational, but full of truth, just like today's interview. Share this episode everywhere so that any whether they're in a relationship or they're in a season of singleness, can hear godly truth and what God's actual plan and design is for dating and marriage. This Spillover podcast is free, by the way, which is my gift to you. All I need in return is for you to make sure that you're actually subscribed and that you leave a five-star review every week when you listen to the new episode. You can watch each episode also on YouTube. Just search for politics. If this is your first time listening to The Spillover, expect groundbreaking interviews and conversations with jaw-dropping people and experts. Every Friday, it's a different topic and story, so make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss them. I'm Alex Clark, and this is The Spillover. Love you, mean it. Bye.